Good evening and welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Ladies, gentlemen, distinguished and honored guests, welcome to the program. I trust that you're all gussied up, a cocktail or equivalent in hand, anxiously awaiting the death of this year, 2022. But you know, before this year sings its swan song, I thought we'd do a little something special, something different. A way to celebrate the previous 365 days and ring in the next 365. So over the next couple of hours, we'll be going through some of my favorite submissions, stories that we received throughout the last calendar year. A best of show, so to speak. And they're not all in there by any means, so don't get angry if yours didn't get selected. But I have no doubt that there's plenty of hair razors that I found from the previous year. So stoke the fire, because we're going to be here a while. So beginning all the way back in January of 2022, and the tail end of Season 12, we start tonight with an entry from Season 12, Episode 19. Cat from California. Welcome back to the program. Hey Derek, my name is Kat. I'm calling from Long Beach, California, but this event actually occurred in a very small town called Casadega, which is located in Central Florida. Now, anyone who lives in the Central Florida area knows about Casadega, but I don't know that many people actually do. It's a kind of old spiritualist camp that has sort of evolved into a very small little sort of destination for um, hippie types or spiritual types. They do all kinds of ghost tours and aura readings and all sorts of stuff like that. But there is some interesting history there. And I used to go quite regularly when I lived in the area. So one night I went with a friend. It was a full moon evening. It was a super moon evening, I recall. And I think the year was 2017 or 2018, sometime in the summer. And um, I went with my friend. We had intended to take a walk to a, to the little lake that's kind of located just behind the town and this lake is known to to have some kind of sort of spiritual power so she and I hopped a fence there was a a fence that had been newly erected at that time because previously you could just walk on the road and go there so when we went there was a fence and we decided okay well we're gonna hop the fence which perhaps we shouldn't have but we did and I remember Really quickly after that, I saw a ton of people standing in front of us, and uh, they weren't completely people. They were sort of spirit people. They weren't really in a flesh form. They were in a way transparent and kind of in all muted colors, and they were all dressed in clothing that is not modern. I want to say it was clothes from like 
the turn of the century, the, the 1800s to the 1900s, maybe. Um, no expert on that. But men, women, there was kind of like a military look to them, some of them maybe. But anyway, they were all sort of facing us and they kind of were just standing in almost a big mob completely occluding the road and I stopped in my tracks and I stopped my friend and I said do you see that and she said she didn't and she wanted to know what I saw (laughs) I'm no stranger to seeing spirits or seeing something paranormal unusual that maybe a lot of people can't recognize so I didn't really want to go into detail about anything I I just sort of decided after a second that I would mentally address them and what happened was when I did so I just slowly stepped forward and they all parted on either side of the street so we kept walking and I was getting more and more hesitant as we walked, because as we walked down the road between these rows of people, they just turned and looked at us. It was very unnerving. (laughs) I wasn't threatened, but it was unnerving. Now, what actually made me have to turn around and go back very quickly and hop over the fence again was that we got to the end of these rows of people and uh, the lake was almost visible. You sort of turn a, a corner. And when we did that, I saw, she saw as well, a, a human running, a person running in shadow. And that person jumped in the air and turned into a cat. And the cat leapt into the forest that was right there. That was completely shocking. It happened right before our eyes. She saw it, I saw it, and I've never, really been able to figure out what that was other than someone who was doing some kind of shape-shifting work under the full moon. So, thanks. Thank you, Cat. Now, if I remember correctly, we had more than one human-cat transformation entry received around that time. That and the fact that this took place at an old spiritualist camp. Well, that's just icing on the cake. A big thanks, Cat, for sharing that entry. I think that any Black Cat story would instantly have my attention. Now, folks, this next entry originally aired on Season 13, Episode 1. Welcome back to the program, Katie. Hi, Derek. My name is Katie. I live in Atlanta, but uh, the story happened in Mississippi. This is for your clergy episode. So my dad growing up was a pastor in a Pentecostal denomination, and I don't know if you know much about that denomination, but needless to say, it's pretty wild. I don't associate with religion at all anymore, but growing up, I was pretty uh, into it. And so I couldn't have been older than eight years old. Myself and our small little youth group was on the way to a youth revival and I don't know if you know what that is but it's basically like a week-long kind of church worship conference Um, and we were going to I think it was in Florida I was really young so I don't remember much of it but on the way back one of the teenage boys started to exhibit signs of textbook 
demonic possession. And I was really confused because, as you know, I, I, like I said earlier, I've seen a lot of things in my life in the church, but this was completely new to me. I mean, he was speaking in a different tone of voice. I mean, straight out of the movie Exorcist. My dad was holding a Bible up to him and he would touch it and start screaming and say, that burned me. Um, and just screamed. And, and we're in this big van, the youth group, um, on the way back from this revival. And so we're kind of stuck in this van with him and scared for our lives. And then it, this continues all the way on the drive back to the church. And then we finally get back to the church. They bring him into the church. They pray and they lay hands on him, you know, if you know what that means. And finally, after hours and hours of praying for him, his eyes stopped rolling back into the back of his head and he just started crying and he said, it's gone, it's gone, it's gone. And to this day, I, I don't really believe in the paranormal. I, I, I do believe in it, but I've never seen anything that would make me believe. But this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. And I, and I don't think that it was, I mean, I've had the thought that it was staged before, but I don't think that my dad would do anything like that. But I, I literally, I don't have any other explanation for it, except for this guy was possessed by a demon. But yeah, so that's my story. I love your show, and thanks. Thank you, Katie. Now this one made it into our brand new promo for Monsters Among Us this year. And you might have heard it on some of the similar shows. We do ad swaps and that sort of thing. Well, the story is certainly spooky stuff. And it's honestly hard to know if what Katie witnessed was real or if this kid was simply acting out. But I can tell you it made for one hell of an entry. And that's why it's on tonight's list. So thank you again, Katie, for taking the time to share. Now, folks, if you have a story you think would be great for this program, simply call our 24-hour hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Or if you live outside of the country, simply record your story on your phone and email me the file at monstersamonguspodcast at gmail.com. Oh, also, the clock is ticking for hometown legend entries for that season 14 finale and paranormal investigator stories for that season 15 premiere. Now, hometown legends are those stories, legends, and rumors that are exclusive to your town or area. And, of course, the stories from paranormal investigators, tour guides, Bigfoot hunters, UFO trackers, the whole nine yards. Well, that's the subject of our season 15 premiere. So if you're submitting, simply say the words hometown legend or paranormal investigator early on in the call so I can pluck your stories from the sea of entries. And again, one more time, that number is one 888 608-N-I-G-H-T Now when we played this next call originally, it allowed us to touch on something I never thought we'd ever discuss here on the show. See if you can jump to the same conclusion that I did. Michelle from New Jersey. Welcome to the show. Hi Derek. My name is Michelle and I'm calling from New Jersey. If it sounds like I'm reading when I told my story, it's because I had to write some stuff down because I'm known kind of amongst my friends to be a terrible storyteller. Anyway, my story happened around 1998 when I was about 12 years old. 
there was a new trail that opened up across the street from my friend's aunt's house in Long Valley, New Jersey, called the Columbia Trail. Uh, the trail had been an abandoned railroad for a long time before it was opened as a park. But my aunt's friend wanted to check it out and brought us, me and my friend and her, on a bike ride. It was a beautiful day. I don't remember what time of year, but probably like fall or spring. And this happened maybe the middle of the day, like after lunchtime. So we were riding our bikes. It's like a really long trail, like 60 miles long. Uh, I think we were on our way coming back towards her house, but still like a few miles away. Um, We were all having a great time. We were enjoying the woods and like the river that runs parallel to the trail. Um, I was riding kind of ahead of my friend, not too far enough where I could see her if I turned around and like trail is straight. So at one point though, I turned around a corner and I saw this kid maybe about my age or a little younger than me. It's hard to tell at that age, especially between boys and girls, but he was about 12-ish. And he was standing next to the trail in some tall grass that was maybe like a foot high. It was strange that he'd be standing on the side of the trail because the trail is like a carriage road and it was like, it's like really wide. Like a lot of people can comfortably pass each other. So there wouldn't really be a reason to stand off to the side. And on top of that, to my right, the trail dipped down like 15 feet to a river. And then on my left, the woods um, went up to like, uh, like a hill, like a mountain. So there was only about like a, at most three feet wide area, like between the, where the hill started and the trail started for him to be standing. So what was really weird about the kid besides standing off of the trail was that he was staring just blankly ahead, not moving, like, at all. Not even a... nothing. (laughs) And he seemed to be lightly covered in dust, is the best way I can describe it. He was standing up straight with his arms loosely to the side, not seeming to lean in any direction, not like he was resting, really. And I remember him having, like, dark, maybe sort of shaggy, messy hair, and a dark t-shirt and jeans, and they're, they're, like, blue jeans. Um, and I say he looked dusty because I could tell his hair and shirt were black or a dark color, but there was like a grayish white cast over them. I don't know how to describe it. Almost like um, if someone put like dry shampoo in their hair and like brushed most of it out, but didn't do the best job. That's like only thing I can think to relate it to. And his skin looked a little bit, a little paler than like usual for a person just being out. I don't know. And I didn't notice anyone else around him or or around in the general area, like a friend or family member, which I would be, which would be normal for a kid about that age on a trail like that. So anyway, when I was riding my bike, I, and I turned the corner, I see this weird kid. I lifted my hand and I smiled and I said, hi. And there was absolutely no response, no movement, no acknowledgement, nothing. So I just rode past him, kind of confused. I just assumed he was a weird kid. So about 30 seconds to a minute after passing him, my friend comes, like, racing from behind me. She looks really exasperated. And she's like, did you see that kid back there? I'm like, yeah, he seemed really weird. And she's like, when I turned around, he was gone. (laughs) And I, I mean, I made sure to clarify with her, like, did you turn around after, like, being far enough away where you couldn't see him anymore or something. She's like, no, I immediately turned around because I thought he looked weird and he was gone. Yeah. So my friend has like corroborated that story with me and like, as, as told me the same story decades later, she says exactly the same thing that she said back then. Like it hasn't changed. 
and I had looked up the area to try and see if there had maybe been a car accident nearby in recent years or uh, something related to the train that used to go through there or a house, like some kid like passing away. I, I looked, every, I couldn't find anything. So I, I don't know, it, like I couldn't find anything that would like suggest it was a ghost. I, I don't know. Um, the only thing that I did find though was that people have reported seeing like ghost lights, like orbs and things like that in the area. And that is like the only paranormal thing I could find in the area. So that's it. That's my story. Thank you so much for the show. It's awesome. I think it's really valuable in a lot of ways. So keep it up. All right. Thanks. Have a great day. Bye. Thanks, Michelle. You know, in retrospect, after listening to this call yet again, I might be the only person to jump to that aforementioned conclusion. But I got the gut feeling that Michelle witnessed a feral person, not a ghost or spiritual entity. To hear the full details and my full conjecture on these feral people, tune in to Season 13, Episode 3. And thanks again, Michelle, for calling in. Now, 2022 might have been a terrible year for a lot of you. It certainly didn't pass by without making a few messes. But it was a pretty good year for us here at Monsters Among Us. We were nominated for a 2022 Paranormality Paranormal Podcast Award for Best 40 in Podcast. And we won. We were also nominated for a 2022 People's Choice Podcast Award for Society and Culture and the People's Choice Overall Award. And we won the former. Now that's two years in a row we've taken home trophies. So I want to thank each and every one of you that took the time to vote to put us there. Without you guys, who knows where we'd be. This next call might not sound all that familiar. Unless you happen to be a Patreon supporter. Because it aired in the Beyond portion of Season 13, Episode 10. Adrian, from California. Welcome to the program. Hey Derek, my name's Adrian. I'm from San Diego, California. Hey, but so uh, I'm 30 years old. About 20 years ago, roughly, give or take, I had stayed home. It was a Friday. Stayed home from school. I was going to go pick up my dad from the airport with my mom that day. Well, I mean, I'm a kid, so during that wait time, that we're going to leave around 12. So I was up at seven in the morning. And, uh, I started to play outside by myself. You know, I'm a kid, pretending I was at war. Uh, I had made my own swords and stuff, you know, pretending I was a knight as well, whatever. Uh, so I'm playing around in the backyard by myself, roughly around 9 o'clock in the morning. So I'm there, you know, swinging my sword around, and uh, I made it out of a PVC pipe and a 2 by 4 and some nails, right? I end up swinging this sword in the air and uh comes flying off the handle. And as I look up, I see this, what I recall is just seeing this gargoyle-type creature flying. It looks like a gargoyle. It looks like a man with wings, all black. Uh, I recall this memory so many times, you know, I feel like I've added on to it. But legitimately, I just remember uh, just being all black, this humanoid figure flying. Not too high up in the air. I would say it's probably like 20 feet in the air. It was close. So I see this, and right away I run inside through the sliding glass door. I go to the kitchen. My mom's there washing dishes. And right away... uh, I grab her and tell her to look out the window. Uh, pull her out to the garage through the front, and this thing isn't there anymore. It, like disappeared. 
this was a matter of seconds. Like it, it was quick. Like so it was pretty trippy, and you know, I didn't. I don't know what it was. I told my mom, and she's like, "I believe you," you know. And she didn't have to see it, but I was so, I guess, in shock more than anything, and curious, not scared, just something weird to see. Well, anyways, uh, fast forward a couple years, uh, probably like two years ago, my cousin texted me like around twelve in the morning, and I'm like, "What's up, dude?" And he's like, "Guess what I just saw." I'm like, "What?" I guess he was feeding his dogs, and uh, he said that there was this gnome-type creature on his roof. So that he threw a rock at it. He thought it was like a bird, right? Like an owl or something. And it said once he hit it, this thing took off. But it, it like shape-shifted into this big gargoyle figure, right? And it flew away. And I'm like, dude, are you messing with me? Because I never told this story to him. I mean, he's not one of the, to believe this these type of things. He's real religious and stuff, but he doesn't believe in it, you know? And uh, he tells me, yeah, dude, he's all like, I, I threw a rock and this thing just turned into this big human gargoyle-type thing and flew off. With, and I'm like, what? And then I guess the way it described it, I mean, it's what I saw when I was a kid. Like, uh, it was just big gargoyle thing. Like, I don't know. I'm still amazed. Just really wish I could find other stories. I mean, I've looked around, but I can't find anything on this. Anyways, Derek, thanks for what you do, man, and keep it up. Thanks, man. You know, Adrian and his cousin aren't the only gargoyle witnesses out there. As discussed on that Beyond episode... A NASA employee saw something eerily similar on the side of a NASA building in the early 80s. Now for months he was troubled by the encounter that he had. He finally decided to report his sighting to his superiors. And to his surprise he learned that several other employees have reported the exact same thing. A flap of sightings later known as the NASA gargoyles. Now eventually the men in black got involved. It's a pretty wild story. And we thank you again, Adrian, for bringing it to our attention. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Have you ever wished that life came with a user manual? You know, I've had that thought many a time when dealing with difficult situations. Life's challenges can be overwhelming, whether it's job-related, a new relationship, or maybe family drama. And it's so easy to feel crushed under all that pressure and feel stuck or hopeless. Well, you know, I found that therapy can really help with navigating those difficult emotions or situations. Not only is it good to get things off my chest, but therapy has taught me better coping skills and helped me grow as a person. And I think it could help you too. As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online. Plus, it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. And if things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash monsters among us. That's better, H-E-L-P dot com forward slash monsters among us. Now, as always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thank you for listening. And back to that thing that's rummaging through your garbage. Now, anyone that knows me knows I love a good monster story. And we have quite a few lined up here tonight. Beginning with season 13, 
episode 12's entry from an anonymous caller in the state of Florida. I would like to remain anonymous at this point in time, but when I was about 12 here in Florida, I was at a camp, a horse camp to be specific, and we went out in the middle of the woods, and all of us were walking one night. The group leader had a flashlight, but none of the other girls or me had a flashlight. I looked off into one of the fields and saw this humanoid thing on all fours staring back at me with glowing eyes. I, at that point in time, had never heard of a skinwalker, did not know what it was. But to this day, I'm convinced that's what I saw because it looked at me. And when I went to speak to the group leader to tell him what I had seen out there, it looked directly at the group leader and then back at me as if to challenge me to tell me Go ahead and say something. They can't see me. Only you can. And then it got up and it walked into the woods on two legs. The name of the ranch, I will not give you my name for privacy issues, but the name of the ranch is called Diamond D Ranch. And that is in Jacksonville, Florida. It's very, very situated in the woods. And like I said, I was 12 at the time, so I didn't have a phone. I didn't have camera or anything to take a picture and I kind of just stood there and stared at it and I didn't scream or anything and I never saw one again after it's the only one I've ever seen but it was also during this time period in my life that I was heavily dwelling into Native American lore I just hadn't come across any stories of their kind yet and eventually when I did I realized that that's what I'd seen and I went to a reservation in North Carolina and I mentioned it to this old Cherokee woman and she specifically told me not to speak anymore on it and to not even say their name. I don't like saying their name as I have in this recording and I, because according to her, if you say their name, that's a way that they can get you. But it's one of the many reasons I refuse to go in the woods anymore. Thank you for your time. Thanks, caller. Now this is yet another entry where I might have let my imagination run a little wild. Because I'm pretty sure in my original commentary, I likened the creature to a pale crawler in that phenomena. In fact, like Cat's call earlier, this one too was submitted around the same time as other reports of similar creatures in the same area. If I'm honest, it's kind of strange how often these little coincidences like that happen. And thank you again, caller, for sending us down a rabbit hole. Now before we move on this evening, I know people are dying to get eyes on it, and I'm dying to get it in front of folks. But no new news on the release of our documentary, Shadows in the Desert, High Strangeness in the Borrego Triangle. But you'll be happy to know that that's to be expected. You see, the entire entertainment industry shuts down for the holidays so I wouldn't expect much traction right now anyway. Thank you for your patience, and I hope to have some news for you sometime here in early January. But I'm not completely empty-handed. I do have another excellent call for you. This one originated on Season 13, Episode 14, and comes to us from Bonnie in Arkansas. Hi, this is Bonnie, and I'm calling from Central Arkansas. My story starts actually between Central and Northwest Arkansas. I used to travel 
between the Wachita Mountains to visit my family in Hot Springs. At this time, I was working at a medical center up in the northwest part of the state. This all started one evening. It was very late. I decided to go ahead and make the trip after work. I'd say about 12, 1 o'clock a.m. And everything was fine until I came across the straightaway, which would lead me into the mountains. I felt like I was by myself. It was dark, and I had my lights on bright. And as I started going down the straightaway, I noticed there was a car in front of me going around a bend. So I turned my bright lights off and proceeded. At this time, I was entering the mountains, and it started getting a little slopey and to the point where there was a bunch of curves. And at this point, you really have no options to pull over. The the side is just really thin where you can pull over and, and park. But I noticed that there was a car park on the side, but I, I didn't pay any attention to it and, you know, just headed on my way. Well, the next thing I know, this car had got behind me and was just put on his lights as bright as he could and got right up to my bumper. He was trying to force me off the road. This scared me to death. He was bumping and, and, and honking, and it was just awful. It scared me to death. There was nobody else on the road. I had to at least slow down, I know at one point, below five miles an hour to where I didn't know if I was going to do this or not. I couldn't see in front of me. I couldn't see the curves. I didn't know if I was going to go off the side of the mountain. I just prayed to God, and eventually I just couldn't take it anymore, and I just put on the gas, and I went, and I got away from him, or he stopped. You know, it was over. And I got to my mom's, and I told her what happened, and I was really shook up, and of course she gave me hot cocoa, calmed me down, and I went about my life. I'm not thinking any more about this for the next three or four months, let's say, till a couple more trips ahead, and this is the daytime at this time, and uh, I was coming back from Hot Springs to Northwest Arkansas. And I hit the Wachita Mountains, and you've got to understand, uh, certain times of the year, this is a pretty highly traveled world because Hot Springs is a tourist town and we also have horse racing and it brings a lot of people between the two areas. So usually at this time of year, you know, I'm used to seeing other people on the road and I don't really feel alone. But I noticed as I hit the mountains at this time that there was really nobody on the road and it was a real quiet day and I was thinking to myself, hmm, you know, that's strange. I'm not really seeing anybody else on the road, but okay, I'll pick up some time. I'd say about a couple miles into the mountains, it started getting slopey again, the curves and everything. And I looked beside me, and there was this big, from the 70s, I can't really pick the model, but one of those big four-door boat-like cars, you know, completely black. The windows were tinted, but more of a purple tint. You know, I could see a silhouette of someone, something in the front seat. It had a wide-rimmed hat on, like a big black pea coat on and I noticed that the hands I could see them coming up to the steering wheel and they were just extraordinarily long I don't know if there's nails whatever it was just extraordinary long I mean I was creeped out and I was thinking number one where did this car come from I'm in the middle of the mountains I'm not seeing any logging roads any way this car could have come from and I swear this thing turned around my way and just grinned I mean, the most evilest thing I have ever seen in my life. I can't even put it into words. But that was enough for me to just put on the gas and go. I was out there. I got about half a mile, mile ahead of him, and I was around the bed, and I kept waiting for him to come around the bed, and he never did. 
Now, I don't know where he went or he or it or whatever. There's no logging roads. There's no roads. There was nowhere for him to go. It just disappeared. All I know is I'm pretty sure that's his way of letting me know, hey, I'm still here. You know, it was evil. It scared me. And I hope I don't ever see anything like that again. I'm going to be one of your repeat offenders, I can already tell. Loving the show. I have a lot of paranormal things that's happened to me. Hope to share in the future. Take care. God bless. Thank you. Thanks, Bonnie. Now, this is one of those calls that got a lot of attention on our social media accounts. And if I'm honest, it still sounds like a vampire to me. And if there are vampires, that must mean that there are werewolves. Do you guys remember Lydia's entry from the state of Ohio? Hi, Derek. This is Lydia from Zanesville. Yes, yeah, so here's my story. So I grew up in a farm um, outside Zanesville, Ohio. Rural area, lots of land surrounding us, farms, fields, woods. So this happened, I was probably 10 to 12 years old. I was in the kitchen of our farmhouse, and we had a veal barn that sits about 40 to 50 yards outside of our back door, kind of up on a little hill. And then to the left of the veal barn, as you're facing out the back door, towards the veal barn to the left, it kind of opens up into a big cornfield and the field kind of like peaks over a hill and disappears on the other side of the hill. And then you can see the very tops of trees and back there are acres and acres and acres of woods. So this particular day I was in the kitchen. My dad and his Mennonite friend were standing on the dock of the veal barn. I'm just talking about whatever they like raised calves together and stuff like that. So I'm in the kitchen And my dad randomly just like burst through the back door, comes running through the house, the opposite side of the house to the gun cabinet, grabs a rifle, runs back out and just yells at me when he goes to run back out, stay in the house. And I was like, I'm scared at that point because my dad, he's retired army sergeant major. He's an ex-cop. He's just a very straightforward guy, doesn't mess around, doesn't pull pranks or anything like that. So he runs back out. And so I go to the glass back door and I'm looking out and he is running across the hill towards the woods with our male German Shepherd. And we had German Shepherds growing up. We had a male and a female. Um, The female was timid. She wouldn't really hurt anything. She was kind of on the shy side. And our male, he was a real, like, go-getter, really interactive, was our guard dog, alarm dog, would take down anyone for us kind of dog. So my dad is running across the field towards the woods with the rifle and our German Shepherd by his side. And our Mennonite friend had since gotten his truck and left. And so I'm kind of confused as to like what's going on. My dad's back there for a couple hours, an hour or two, doing whatever the heck I didn't know what he was doing. Um, And he didn't actually tell me what happened until years later when I was older. Apparently what happened, they were standing up on the dock, he and our friend, and they were just talking. And then they see our female German Shepherd who had just wandered off to like, you know, do what dogs do, go take care of their business and just sniff around. She had wandered off over the field towards the woods. And they were standing up there on the dock and they see she comes booking it, like running as fast as she can, like something is chasing her back over the field towards the house. And behind her, about 20 to 30 yards behind her chasing her, is what my dad described to be similar to like a coyote, but it had a longer pointed snout and longer pointed ears and it was running on two legs, chasing her towards the house. And when they saw this thing and it saw them, 
it stopped and dropped down on all fours and turned and ran back the direction it came back towards the woods. And that's when my dad ran down to the house and got the rifle and took off after it with our male German Shepherd. My female German Shepherd didn't want anything to do with it. She was apparently scared for her life. She wanted to get back inside and not be outside anymore. So my dad runs after this thing and our Mennonite friend left and they were back there in the woods for an hour or two trying to track it, find any any tracks, any scents or anything like that. And to no avail, they didn't find anything. I guess later on, my dad tried to talk to our friend about what they had seen because they both saw it. And he tried to talk to him about that what they had seen. And our friend to this day still denies that he saw anything at all. He didn't see anything. He doesn't, you know. So, which I kind of understand because Mennonites are, if you're unfamiliar with what they are, they're basically like Amish, but they drive vehicles and have electricity, but they're very religious people. So I can understand him being in denial about it because of, you know, spiritual or religious reasons or anything like that. So yeah, they never found anything. Um, I attached the little drawing that my dad drew up for me, if you want to post that in the show notes. But my dad said that the closest thing that he could find, he did some research on it. And the closest thing that he could find was Bray Wolves. If you've ever heard of Bray Wolves, I think I've heard you um, say some things about them on your podcast. I've never actually like done any research of my own. This is just all like word of mouth from my dad. But yeah, um, I've, we've never like had any issues since. I used to like ride my horses back in those woods, and there were times when my horses would just spook for absolutely no reason at all, and I would look around and there wouldn't be any predators around. There would be absolutely no reason for them to like want to get out of there. And I mean, this would, this would happen several times. And I had two different horses that this would happen with in those woods that it ran towards and disappeared into. I've never sensed anything, never seen anything back there, but you know how there's this kind of belief that animals and like older people and younger children and like children, babies are like more susceptible to like picking up on those kind of energies or however you'd like to say it. So I don't know if that has anything to do with it. Cause like I said, I never saw anything or experienced anything like that, but I used to go riding back there in those woods with my horses and they would be so spooked to the point where I would have to let them just run back to the barn because they didn't want to be in those woods anymore. So, but thank you again. Love your platform. Love what you do. Stay safe out there and God bless. Thank you so much. Now, Zanesville, the town Lydia lives outside of is not my hometown, but it was the closest big town to us growing up. And from the sounds of things, it seems that Lydia and I grew up on opposite sides of the Y-City. They call it the Y-City because of its infamous Y-shaped bridge that spans over the Muskingum River. Anyway, it's worth mentioning that the Zanesville area is home to a very old hometown legend. The tale of Stumpy, the upright walking, dog-like creature with a human face. Now, if you want to hear more on this story, visit Season 13, Episode 14. And thank you again, Lydia, for calling in. It's always good to hear from another Muskingum County resident. Well, former for me. Now, folks, real quick, head on over to our merchandise store now through the end of January to get 15% off anything in the store. It's time to make some room for some new items. 
So hit up monstersamonguspodcast.com and click that shop tab. And remember, everything in the shop is currently 15% off. Why don't you uh, go get something nice for yourself? Now, as far as this special is concerned, I don't really have a specific reason for selecting any of these calls. Honestly, a few of them just kind of speak to me. But this next one by Adele in Florida. Well, I think the reason I picked it is pretty obvious. Proceed with caution, because we've entered Glimmerman territory. Hey, Derek. This is Edel calling you from Land Lakes, Florida. And I'm a longtime listener. This is first time calling in. I was inspired to call in and share my story from a, uh, a previous episode that I had heard from a listener by the name of Virgil. It was a season 11 episode 12 where he talked about his experience with a glimmer man back in the 60s well this is my experience or two experiences with a glimmer man and another odd incident that i uh experienced back either in 1975 or 1976 when i was around six or seven years old i'm i'm 52 right now anyway here we go Oh, and this took place not in Florida. This actually took place in New York, the Bronx specifically. So at the time, um, I was, uh, my family lived in a, uh, like an 18-story building in the Bronx. It's basically like a project building. Um, and we were living in the sixth floor at the time. And there I, I was living with my mom, my dad, and uh, my much older brother. He was probably like in his 20s at the time. Anyhow, it was around 8 or 8.30 in the evening, and I remember that my dad had left for work. He worked evenings at the post office, graveyard shift. So um, at the time in the apartment, it was just me and my mom, actually. Now, I remember it was around 8 or 8.30 because I distinctly remember watching on TV an old sitcom that was called Chico and the Man. And I know that came on around prime time back in the day. So anyhow, I was just me and my mom. My mom is in the bathroom taking a shower. So I'm the only one in the apartment in the living room. I'm actually eating like a TV dinner. I remember those. Anyhow, so I'm there watching the TV. And then all of a sudden, I start hearing a high-pitched ringing sound in my ear and out of the corner of my eye down the hallway near the bathroom door i see what basically all i can say are two figures slowly materializing and they seem to be kind of almost made out of tinsel and just like back in season 11 episode 12 how virgil described that uh, they kind of look like they were being beamed down like in Star Trek. So these things seem to be just like made out of glitter. And that's what it was. It was two beings, I guess approximately six, seven feet tall. My brother, he was six two, and I could definitely tell that they were taller than my brother. 
And the also weird thing was that they seemed to be 2D. Like they, you could see the, the width and uh, the height, but it, it just seemed to be like paper thin. So they seemed to be like 2D. Now I saw them materialize in the hallway and they're there. Now thinking back, you would think this has had to be the most terrifying experience, especially for a kid of six or seven. But for some reason, I wasn't scared. I was actually angry. And in the back of my mind, how I thought of it was like, you're not supposed to be here. You can't be here. And I just felt very protective of my mom. It's like, you know, my mom's in the bathroom taking a shower. She doesn't know what's going on. These things are close to the bathroom. Something's going to happen to my mom. Whatever these beings were, I got a sense that they were surprised that I could see them. And I still don't even know what I was thinking. I was just went into full protection mode, knowing that my mom was in the bathroom taking a shower, unaware of any of this stuff that was going on. So I got up from the table where I was eating my TV dinner and I ran into the hallway. And I just remember going into the middle of these two entities and just swinging, punching through them. And it was as if I'm punching through air. And all I remember is that they, I, I was like punching through this glitter, it, it sparkly air, but I wasn't connecting with anything. It's like my, my arms and my punches, my fists were going through them. And they just, within like a few seconds, disappeared. I remember just standing in the hallway and I could hear my mom in the shower and whatnot. And I, in my mind was just like, I'm not going to tell my mom what's going on. She, <laughs> she wouldn't be able to handle this. And it was just like, I'm going to not mention anything because in my head, it was sort of like, she's not going to understand this. She's going to freak out. I'm just going to keep it to myself. So I just went back to the table and I just was watching TV. Now, fast forward a couple of weeks later, I'm in the same bathroom and I'm going to use the bathroom and I'm about to, you know, use the toilet and I wanted to close the door behind me. And as I'm closing the bathroom door, I see what I can best describe as a floating entity, golf ball size kind of burnt orange and the best way I can describe it was it looked like a puffer fish and it seemed to be coming around the corner of the door and it just looked at me I looked at him and I remember that completely freaked me out scared me and I ran out of the bathroom down the hall and I'm screaming at the top of my lungs for my mom Again, this happened in the evening. My father's not home. My brother's not home. And my mom just like going, what happened? What happened? And I'm just trying to explain to her that something, I saw a monster. I saw something floating in the bathroom. And of course, she didn't believe me. And she calmed me down. And, and that incident came and went. 
Now fast forward a couple of months later, and this must have been in the fall, like that first incident with the Glimmerman entities happened probably in the summer. Fast forward a few months later in the fall, I remember being asleep at that, there was two bedrooms in the apartment, one for my brother and then one that I shared with my parents. My father was at work, it's just me and my mom and my brother, he's sleeping in his room, I'm sleeping in the other bedroom with my bed that I shared with my parents, they had their bed. I don't even know what time it was, but it was probably around 11, 12. I remember waking up to that same high-pitched ringing in my ears, and I knew it was these glimmer things. I remember getting out of the bed, opening up the bedroom door, walking down the hallway and going into the kitchen. And my mom is asleep. She's not moving. She doesn't hear anything. Anyway, I remember tiptoeing into the kitchen and seeing one of these glimmer men entities. Again, same thing. 2D, tall, six foot plus, looking like how the spark Again, Star Trek, kind of glittery figure. And again, I got the feeling that it was surprised that I could see it. I remember it standing there, getting the feeling that it was surprised that I could see it, and then it fading away. Again, I went into like full protection mode on my mom, and I was like... In my mind, even though I didn't say it out loud, I kept saying it in my head. You, you, you shouldn't be here. Why are you here? Don't be here. And as it faded away, all I remember was tiptoeing back into the bedroom that I shared with my mom and just going back into my bed and falling asleep. Yeah, so that's my... <laughs> That's my experience with Glimmerman uh, back in, again, it must have been either 75 or 76. I was around six or seven years old. Uh, yeah, there you go. Anyway, keep up the good work. Hopefully uh, you can use this. Take care. Man, Florida's getting a lot of play on this episode. Perhaps to no one's surprise. And thank you, Adele. That one is from Season 13. Episode 15, if you want to check out the commentary. And I certainly love a good Glimmerman story, or whatever this is. And I especially like older ones. And Adele, you certainly didn't disappoint in either camps. So thank you again for sharing the entry. And you know, speaking of older paranormal encounters, this past year also brought us this vintage alien experience. So Anne, from Season 13, Episode 16, welcome back to the show. Hi, my name is Anne, and this is my mom's story. It happened in Los Angeles, California in 1960, 1961. I was just a baby, but my mom has always told this story, and it's always the same. Anyway, my parents had immigrated from Europe in, like, 1957, so my mom was a homemaker with two little kids at the time. Um, she didn't speak very much English, and she certainly didn't read or write any English. We lived on a property that was pretty large. It was about an acre, and it was in the shape of a rectangle. There was a house in the front where my aunt lived, and we lived in the house towards the back of the lot. 
so anyway, so she was doing laundry, and um, we didn't have a clothes dryer, so she would always take the clothes out and hang them out on the line. The clothes line was not like the ones they have today where they're like in a circle. This is old school, so it was like two metal tees, and then the line was strung between the two metal tees. So anyways, she was taking the clothes out onto the porch, and it was a sunny morning, nothing unusual. So um, she stepped out, and she had her basket of wet laundry in her hands, and the house was kind of elevated, so she had to go down these steps. And so as she's carrying the basket, she's looking down at the steps so she doesn't fall. And then once she hits the ground, she starts walking towards the clothesline. And as she's walking, she's looking at the clothesline, and she suddenly stops because she sees standing underneath the clothesline is this little silver man. And she said she just stopped and was completely frozen with fear. And so she's looking at him, and he starts motioning for her to come. And she says that she hears in her head that he wants her to come. So she said she dropped the basket, and she turned to run back in the house. And she said the next thing that she remembers is that she's in the kitchen, and it's not the morning anymore. And that's all that she remembers. She doesn't remember anything else. So shortly after that, we moved to a suburb of L.A., and now it's like the 1960s, you know, UFO talk is everywhere. And so I'm telling my friends, you know, the subject comes up, so I tell my friends about the story. And when my mom finds out about it, she's like not happy, and she tells me, don't tell anyone about this story. And I said, well, why not? Isn't it true? And she said, yeah, it's true. But no one's going to believe you, and I don't want people to think that I'm crazy, so don't tell anybody the story anymore. So I didn't. And then, but then later on as an adult, you know, I've always been interested in UFOs and hauntings and all that stuff. So I um, asked her about the story because as I'm reading all of these different tales about UFOs and such, I always thought when she told me about the little silver man, I always pictured the silver man being like an astronaut with his silver suit on but she said no that's not what he looks like and when she described him again to me I realized what she was describing was what I would think would be a gray alien yeah it's a really strange story but um that's it and I um, just wanted to tell you how much I enjoyed the podcast and I think you're doing a great job and I have other stories to tell so I may be calling back thanks again Again, I love these older entries. And I'm sure, much to Anne's mother's chagrin, that story is now preserved for as long as these podcasts stay up. Which I hope and imagine would be well after I'm gone. So we appreciate that entry, Anne. Thank you for sharing your mother's tale. Now, if Bonnie's call earlier was discussed heavily on our social media pages, this next one flat out broke the internet. I think this was our most commented on story in the past year, and for good reason. Please welcome our anonymous submitter from the Buckeye State of Ohio. Hi, Derek. Long-time listener. I love the show. This is a really hard thing for me to talk about. The reason being is I've talked about it 
twice before, once on a radio program, and after it was all said and done with, everybody kind of thought I was crazy. It was just kind of a big joke, but I can tell you everything has really happened. But this happened years ago. I was a little kid. I'm going to say it first started between five and seven, and it's hard for me to get, get it nailed down because it took so long to to start, but it built up for such a long time. And, and I'll just go into it from here. When I was a kid, we lived in a house in East Liverpool, Ohio. And we had just moved out of a, a home that had been like really haunted. And I had no idea about that because I was too young to remember. And so I've only had stories from my mother and my aunt to, to tell me what happened there. So I had a separate bedroom from my, my brothers. Um, I was on one side of the hallway. They were on the other. And from their room, you could see the corner and the wall and part of the entryway into my, my bedroom uh, through the door, but you really couldn't see much. All I could see was like the edge of their wall and then the stairways going down from that point. And because my brothers were afraid of the dark, my mother would always leave the bathroom light on in the hallway, which sat probably 10 to 12 feet um, diagonally from us. And the light would always shine on this one wall right where I would see the you know, if my door was open, I would see it. And I can remember for years, for like a year, I would see like this small shadow and it was just formless, but you could see it. It would just set in this corner where the light was shining. And I, I didn't think much of it. You know, you're like, there's a shadow on the, on the floor and it's kind of right there. And it went from being on the floor to hovering in the air, like a little dust ball or something. But it wasn't big, and it took it a really long time, like I'd say a year, before it even started to get definition, if, if you understand what I'm saying. Like it started to take a form of its own. And I don't know why it took so long. I don't know what it was doing, or I have no clue. I just know it took a long time before it started to get a shape. And there was probably another half a year involved where the shape was very obvious. It was something sitting on the floor, hunched over it didn't look human it was like an animal of some sort i would almost say like if you saw a dog sitting you would say okay i know that's a dog shadow the way it's sitting this had a, a distinctive animalistic tone to it but you couldn't tell what it was and again it's just me sitting here at night and seeing this and it didn't do anything didn't move never gave me any awful vibes or anything like that it was just kind of steady which is there and then for some reason it just kind of clicked it slowly became more visible and obvious of what it was okay now the shadow defined itself to where it was almost like a man-shaped frog or not frog it was a toad because toads are, are lumpy and bumpy and dry and this did not have a, a wet skin to it it was very dark but you could still see that the toad itself was gray and it would start out growing from the shadow and then it would transform as the night grew on into the toad shape and it kind of was was like a man would hunch over uh squat down and put his hands on his knees and sit and that's how it sat uh, and it was probably one or maybe two feet in height I, I was just a kid so it was kind of hard to uh judge its its actual size but i would say it was no more than maybe two feet in height but it looked pretty solid what it started doing was it would stare at me and it, it would stare in like this menacing way. It was very ominous the way it did it. I mean, sometimes it would move. It would kind of 
stretch itself out or like it wasn't comfortable, but it would always watch. And I always wondered why it never turned to my brother's room, which would be easier for it to see into than mine because he could see both of them, but I was kind of offset. So it, it had to peer into my room to see me. And that's what it did. It just always stared at me. And it began to bother me. I mean, I really got a lot of bad vibes from it. I, you know, I didn't realize the word was vibes back then, but I really had this really bad sensation that I would swear I was going to do something about it. And then the next day I would wake up and I would totally have forgotten all about it. I'd just go about my day and, and do things as I normally would until I laid down in bed and then the shadow started to form. And I'd be like, oh my God, how did I forget this? So it was really kind of hard to do anything. But what I did was I wrote a small note, just said toad, so that I would remember. And then when I woke up the next day, I was like, I've got, yeah, I remember this. I, I've got to do this now. So I was trying to think of things that I could do there to stop the toad or scare it away. And, you know, you're a kid. You can't go look up library tomes and you can't talk to adults about it because they're going to think you're nuts. So I was like, you know, watching TV, trying to see if there was something you could do about monsters in your house and stuff. I mean, it's nuts, but that's what you're doing as a kid. Then I finally decided one night, I forced myself. I said, I really want to make sure I'm not crazy. I want to see what this is. I want to see if it's real or not. So I forced myself to get out of bed and I started walking towards it and it, it zeroed right in on me. Okay. And, and this is where it's, it sounds crazy, but I swear, to, I swear to God, everything's true. As I got close to it, it, it said, where do you think you're going? In this really raspy, devilish voice scared the hell out of me. I mean, I was so scared. It was ridiculous. And the only thing I could think of was I said, I'm going to the bathroom. And I ran into the bathroom and slammed the door, and then I slept in the bathtub. I was so afraid I would not go back to bed. Um, I didn't want to go back down that hallway to face it, so I slept in the bathtub just so I didn't have to endure trying to get past that thing again. And that was kind of where I said, I've had enough. I was like, I've got to do something. And so my father, he was a big-time hunter. Okay, He loved to hunt. We had hunting dogs. He had all the gear. He had everything. Well, Heck, we had uh, more uh, rifles and shotguns for hunting, you know, birds and deer and whatever. So I knew he had, had knives because I was like, I can't use a gun, but I can get a knife. And I, I remember going through his knives, and there was just this one knife. It wasn't really big. It wasn't like, you know, Crocodile Dundee style huge, but it just said to me, this is what I needed. And it was like a uh, a medium-sized blade, but it was it was a hunter's blade, and it, it was a deer hoof was the handle. And I thought, this is like nature. This is what's going to stop him. It's, it's nature. It's it's life. It's from from here. And so I, I I stole my dad's knife and I put it under my pillow, and then I went about my day. And that night, I remember going to bed and I felt the knife underneath the bed pillow, and I was like, this is it. I've I've really got to screw up the courage to do this. And I waited, and I watched it, and finally, I kind of drove myself crazy. I got up, put the knife behind my back as I got up so you couldn't see it, and began walking towards it again. Now, I don't know if it was about to say something or if it said something. I can't remember now. And again, this is going to be the part that sounds crazy, but I, I remember I raised the knife up, and as I got right close to it, I raised the knife up, and I drove it down as hard as I could, and I was on my back you know they say going like you know rear end over teacups that's basically what happened to me and when I looked it was totally gone I had no idea what happened 
I didn't see anything. I was looking everywhere. Like, you know, you, you see them watch movies. It's on the ceiling or it's up in the corner of the roof or something like that. I looked everywhere. I looked in the hallway. I even peeked under my bed. And it wasn't there. It was gone. And and so I just went back to bed, put the knife back where it was, but I kept a hold on it. And I laid down, but I didn't sleep. I didn't sleep at all. And it was a long time later. Like, it never came back. The, the It was done from that point. I never saw it again, ever. And I don't know why. Okay, I, I don't believe I killed it. I don't know if I drove it off or if I, you know, did something that it, it was it was just repelled from, from where I was at or whatever. But, you know, I exercised it or something. But it, it never came back after that. And it was years later, I was, I was reading a comic book. And it was Howard the Duck. It was it was crazy, um, and they had this man frog thing on there. And I, I said out loud, but I was talking to myself. I said, "This looks like that toad I used to see." And my brother said, "Are you talking about the toad in the corner of the hallway?" And I said, "Are you serious? You saw that toad?" He goes, "I saw you attack it." And we I never said anything to anybody, so my brother knew what I was talking about immediately. And I said, "You saw me attack it," and he said, "Yes." He goes. You came out and you brought that knife down and it looked like it was about to bite you. It opened its mouth and he said, I don't know if it was going to jump or say something or, or whatever, but you brought the knife down and as it kind of went in where its mouth was, it just it just went out in a puff. Like it exploded silently, like a boom with no boom. And then he said, it knocked you down and he said, you got up and you were okay. So I didn't say anything. He said he used to see it. And it scared him senseless. I think he said it, it scared him stupid is how he worded it. But he said it scared him stupid every night because he could see it. But he, he always saw it was looking at me. Now, just to give you a description, the toad, after the shadows, it, it kind of had like shadow wisps. It was always kind of cloaked in a shadow. But it was gray, very lumpy, big eyes with like a dim pinpoint of red. It wasn't like a lot. Like it didn't glow and, and shine at you like a... Uh, a flashlight, but just dim. Uh, very long claws, which I know amphibians don't really have, but this had claws on its on its hands. And like I said, it was like a man squatting. And he described it to me pretty much just that way. So I don't know what it was. I don't know why the knife worked. I don't know if it was my belief in the knife or that I was right in my feeling that it was from nature and so it would do that to the to the thing. But to this day, you know, I have five kids. Since my kids have grown, I've always made sure there was nothing in a corner of the room and I've never asked anybody but you know I think that they would say hey I, I saw something or but then again I, I don't know but I've never asked my kids if they've seen anything and I've made certain like you know where we lived there was no like corner for the thing to kind of come into because I think it had something to do with that corner that space and so it's just something that's always freaked me out and I know it sounds insane but my brother actually corroborated it with me years later I think we were probably like 13 or 14. I, I don't remember. It's been so long. But we were, in, you know, in that period of just preteens coming up. And he, he was my younger brother. He corroborated that he'd seen it. And I have no idea what it was. And I've never seen anything about shadow toad demons or anything like that. But I know what I saw. And I swear to God, this was real. And it, it was just bizarre how I could not remember it the next day. Uh, until it started happening again. And that's when the fear would set in. And I know it was malicious. I know it had evil intent. I'm glad it's gone, and I hope to God I never see it again. So just like to hear what your thoughts are, if you know anything about this, or if you've heard of anything like this. But uh, it's hard for me to talk about. Like That is uh, probably the hardest thing I've ever had to deal with, the scariest thing I've ever had to deal with in my life. 
and I never want to have to get through that again. And I don't know if anybody's ever heard of anything like that, and that's why I'm calling. So thank you for doing what you do. And like I said before, I'm really curious to hear what you have to say about this, other than I'm just begging, please don't sound crazy, because I'm not. I'm really not. This is an authentic story. So thank you. Thank you. Oh, boy. That's an insane series of events. And of course, I made the obvious connection to the other Ohio-based amphibian-slash-man hybrid, the Loveland Frogman. Revisit Season 13, Episode 18 to catch all of that coverage. And again, this was an amazing entry, and we can't thank you enough, caller, for sharing it. Now shifting gears here a little bit, This next call, which originally aired on Season 13, Episode 19, is one of the ghostly variety. This one gave me the chills. Kip, out of New York. Welcome back to the program. Hi, Derek. This is Kip. I'm calling from the western New York State area. Uh, And I've got an amazing ghost story to tell you with a kind of surprising twist at the end. This is not my story. This is my wife's story, and this happened uh, just before we started dating. So this would have been 2009 time frame. So my wife, she found this wonderful house that she bought. Uh, it was built in 1880, and she got a really good deal on the house because these two sons were selling it. Their mother had passed away. She was in her 90s. So she got this really lovely house property. Was, was enamored with it. Her sister, she had an older sister that just had a baby, said, oh, I'll come out and visit with you guys. And uh, so his sister came out with this newborn baby, and they stayed in uh, the downstairs bedroom, and uh, my wife was sleeping in an upstairs bedroom. And she said that the first night that they came, she could hear her sister saying something out loud in the middle of the night. She just couldn't tell what she was saying, and she just chalked it up to, um, she's talking to the baby or something. Next morning, as soon as she gets up, her sister asks her, who is the old lady? She says, what do you mean? She's like, I woke up in the middle of the night, and there was an old lady standing over my baby. And I had to tell her to get away. So off the bat, my wife suspecting that maybe this house is haunted. A few other things happen. My wife is sitting on the couch one day when she hears a loud thunk right behind her. And she looks back and there's a floor lamp that is swaying back and forth. And it sounded like it just kind of got dropped. And my wife is an engineer. She's trying to figure out why would this be moving. She has two dogs and a cat and they're all sitting right in front of her not moving. She cannot figure out why this lamp behind her is moving and what sounded like it was just dropped. Uh, another thing that happened is my wife got up uh, early one morning, went out to do some gardening, and while she's out in the yard, she can hear the smoke alarm going off in her house. So she immediately runs back in the house, figures out it's the smoke alarm in that same downstairs bedroom going off. The door was shut, and when she opened the door, she said for a split second, all she could see in the room was this white fog. And within a split second, all the white fog disappeared and the smoke alarm went off. So my wife was like convinced, all right, so the house is haunted, but it's not anything bad. There's nothing evil. So, you know, this is just kind of upsetting, but nothing horrible. So uh, this is where the story kind of takes a twist. So she ends up talking to her neighbors finally. And her neighbors said, oh, you know, it's really sad how Mrs. Such and Such passed away. And my wife's thinking, oh, yeah, because, you know, she was 90 years old, you know, upsetting. But the neighbors were like, no, no, she actually died in a fire on the property. 
My wife said, oh, I did not know that. The neighbors told the story. Middle of the night one night, they could see this red glow coming from over there and realized there's a giant fire going on at their neighbor's house. So the neighbors come running over and figure out the garage was on fire. And they run into the house to find the old lady. And <laughs> they, they found some strange things. When they came in the back door and went up some stairs, the lady's walker was abandoned on the first floor. And they quickly figure out she's not in the house anywhere. And they figure out that she must be in the garage. And sure enough, the, you know, the fire department and the police come and they figure out that, yes, she was in the, in the garage and she's deceased. And they said that's, you know, it was really sad. This is where my wife starts piecing together the story that doesn't make a lot of sense. She's like, why did this 90-year-old woman get up in the middle of the night, abandon her walker that she needs to get around, go down a flight of stairs, this back door that must have been opened? So when I was in the house, I was in my mid-20s, six foot one, 200 pounds, and I had to put my hip on the wall to get this door open. It was not easy to open. So how did this 90-year-old woman open that, go out into her garage, I don't know why, and get into her car, and then how does that make your garage catch on fire? And the more that we thought about the story, it makes more sense that she didn't do this, that somebody else did. We think that somebody broke into the house in the middle of the night. She got up to investigate, and they essentially killed her and disposed of all the evidence in her car in the garage in a big fire. And it's morbid, but if you think about if you wanted to kill someone better than someone 90 years old and dispose of all the evidence in a garage fire, and it probably will not be investigated, which is terrifying. My wife said, I didn't confirm this myself, but she tried to look up news stories about other uh, elderly people deceasing in fires. And she said that she found a few stories in the past few years in the Western New York state region which is very upsetting. There's another kind of side story to the one I just left that I, I thought was kind of funny. Uh, it was a debunking story of my own. So uh, when I first met my wife, we were staying there at this haunted house. There was one night while we were going to bed, we were sleeping in that downstairs bedroom, you know, getting into bed, getting settled in. It's very quiet in the house. And after a few minutes, we hear the sound that goes, thump, 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 thump sounding like a ball drop. And every 30 seconds or so, we could hear it again. And it was coming from upstairs. So both of us look at each other and our faces are white. And we are like, oh God, what is that? And <laughs> my wife says, go figure it out. I'm going to go back to bed. So she throws the covers over herself and leaves me to go up and figure out what this is. So I start my pants and I'm terrified and going upstairs with a flashlight and I'm telling myself if I see a ball just hovering in midair and dropping I'm going to start tripping balls uh, so I go upstairs and uh, fortunately figure out no there's not a ball hovering in the air it's uh, there's a little uh, trap door that kind of goes over an attic space and there's enough of a wind outside at night that it, it wasn't latched the wind was making a vacuum that was causing that door to shut so I shut that, locked it, and uh, changed my underwear and went back to bed. Uh, I, don't know, I just thought it was a good debunking story. Important to check stuff out and don't just assume it's going to be something supernatural. And needless to say, we fixed up the house and we got out of there as fast as we could and moved someplace else. So that's my story. It's 
a wonderful story to me. It's haunting, and I believe it 100% because I, I believe what my wife says. I love the podcast. Keep up the great work. Talk to you later. Bye. Thank you, Kip. That is chilling. But I seriously doubt that it was the first time that Monsters Among Us has helped uncover a murder. And you know, I have it on good authority that it's not the last time either. But more on that here in a little bit. Now as for the possible murder that Kip detailed, I swear I received a tip about a similar circumstance taking place in the western New York area. But you know, I can't find it to save my life. So if that's you and you're out there listening, send it back in if you could. And I'll do my best to keep my eye open for any additional information. Thanks again, Kip, for calling in. Now, if you simply can't get enough of MAU, or I guess you can't get enough of me, don't forget I was lucky enough to be a guest on several amazing podcasts this past year. Tales from the Fandom, Quiz Quiz Bang Bang, Our Strange Skies, Paranormal the New Normal, and Kind of Murdery with Zevin Odelberg. Not to mention that we were featured on the Today Show's webpage, today.com. Not once, but twice. Like I said, it's been a great year for Monsters Among Us. And what do you say we move on to the next entry? One that helped make this year a spooky one for Monsters Among Us listeners. Do you guys remember Pete in Wyoming? The guy that wanted to rip his co-workers apart with his bare hands. Hello, Derek. This is Pete. I'm in Wyoming. It's kind of a weird story. I got COVID, and uh, some people lost their, their appetite or sense of taste and smell. For me, it was a little different. I didn't. I kind of have been hungry all the time. I'm over it now, but just been having weird dreams, almost like I'm uh, turned into a werewolf and almost like the movie American Werewolf in London. And my dream is I come to work, and I just get extremely hungry, and I kind of turn and pretty much maul everybody at work. I know it's strange. I haven't even told anybody, not even my wife, about it because they'll probably think I'm totally nuts and probably lock me away, throw away the key. Yeah, I know it's kind of sounds bizarre, but I'm just hungry all the time. <laughs> even when I eat a big, huge meal, about 10 minutes later, I'm hungry again. I haven't gained any weight, and uh, yeah, I just had the awful nightmares and it's strange because I, I, I know it, I live out here in Wyoming and I know there's coyotes in the area, but yeah, there have been like dogs come up missing. I know I have nothing can, to do with it, but yeah, there's like, there's a family down oh, about a mile away. They raise Rottweilers and I guess two came up missing. They don't know where they went, but I don't know if that's any connection to it all, but uh, that's just, just my story, I guess. Love your show and keep it going. Bye. Now, calls like that make me very happy that I work from home. But thank you, Pete. This entry certainly fits in here. And I suggest revisiting Season 13, Episode 19, to hear how this story is similar to a real-life werewolf named Bill Ramsey. And you know, we also had several people write in with different suggestions as to why Pete was feeling the way he was. Most suggesting that a COVID treatment 
a steroid called prednisone may be to blame. Now apparently rage and insatiable hunger are one of many side effects to the drug. So if you were on that treatment, Pete, that might just answer a few questions. And a huge thanks to Anna and Ali for sending in those theories specifically. And coincidentally, Ali Mamarian also created the theme for tonight's program. A revisit from the season 14 premiere. Now believe it or not, I've selected quite a few Bigfoot stories for this special episode. And believe it or not, our next one is the first to finally hit the ether. Now please welcome yet another Pete. This one from the Lone Star State of Texas in Season 14, Episode 1. Hey Derek, this is Pete from West Texas. I'm not sure if this qualifies as one of your transportation stories, but i got to tell you something that happened back in August of 2009. I'm originally from West Texas, Odessa specifically. And back then, I was a sergeant over the canine unit, and I had two new officers that when you get new officers, they get a new dog, so they have to go train with the dog and get acclimated with the dog. So they go to this six-week school in San Antonio, which is about five hours away from Odessa, more or less, give or take. So what the guys would do is the school was Monday through Friday, and when they'd get out on Friday, they would haul butt back to Odessa, spend the weekend with their families, and then uh, they'd have to be back by Sunday afternoon so they'd be ready for school Monday morning. This went on for six weeks. But anyway, back then, the department had just bought the guys brand-new Tahoe's. And the entire back seat, the area where the back seat and the, and the back would be, like on a regular Tahoe, there was a full canine kennel, like a cage. It was pretty cool. It was a pretty neat deal. And the other thing, too, is the guys could communicate from vehicle to vehicle as long as you were out of town to where the radio wouldn't hit the tower. Because normally if it hits the tower, then all of us can hear it, plus the communication center records it. But if you're out of range of the tower, you can talk vehicle to vehicle and nobody else can hear it except you guys. Anyway, this happened on a Friday night. They were uh, coming back to Odessa from San Antonio. What happens is right at Ozona, Texas, which is on Interstate 10, they would cut north towards Big Lake, Texas. And that's a state highway, two lanes, one going, one coming, very desolate area. And you had one officer following the other one as they were headed northbound. Something big and black came off the side of the road and headed directly at the lead officer, perpendicular. And he said he braced for impact because whatever this was, it was big and black on all fours. And he said he felt it was going to hit the vehicle. At the last second, this thing veered north and started running alongside his vehicle. And he said it was big and black, and its back was up even with the passenger window. And I asked him, I said, when you looked over, what was it? And he said, I didn't look over. He said, I was so scared. I braced for impact. And he said the hair stood up on my arms and the back of my neck, and I did not look over to see what it was. And it ran alongside for a few seconds, I guess, and then it veered back off to the right. So at this point, I asked him about the officer behind him, the one following him. 
Oh, and by the way, he said he was going 75 to 80 miles an hour, which is very dangerous. I've taken that same trip before, and I, I've counted at least 21 deer just in that little section between Ozona and Big Lake. And what he said is, as they were headed northbound, and when the, right when this thing ran out at him, his dog, which had been asleep in the back, in the kennel, jumped up, started barking and spinning in circles, going eight, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so he, he picks up the radio, the microphone. He calls back to the officer behind him, and he said, what was that? The officer behind him replies, I don't know, and kind of gives him a nervous laugh. So he tells me to ask that other officer about it, because he said he wouldn't talk about it. So the lead officer would talk about it, but he couldn't tell you what it was. But later in private, I spoke with the officer that was behind him, and he was right. He will not talk about it. I asked him in private. I said, what, what, what was that? What did you guys see? He's like, I don't know. And he kind of gave a nervous laugh. He said, I don't know, and I don't know, and that's it. He won't say anything else. Like, he won't even describe it, whatever it was. They said this thing was on all fours, and it had a round-type head, so it was not any kind of horse or cow. It didn't have an elongated skull or head, not to mention the fact that they were hauling, you know what, 75 to 80 miles an hour, which there's not any horses or cows that can keep up with a vehicle that fast. Whatever this thing was, it was keeping up with a brand new Chevy Tahoe. That's why the lead officer, Lewis, was afraid to look over and see what it was. Because any four-legged normal creature wouldn't be able to keep up that fast. Whatever it was, it scared him pretty bad. It scared both of them. The officer in the rear wouldn't admit it. But I'm not saying this is related. I just got to tell you this, because this is important. Years later, that happened in August of 09. In February of 2011, by this point, I was listening to that nationwide show that comes on during the night, and they had an open lines night, and a guy called in. He was from Abilene, Texas, and he said, back in 89, him and his wife lived in Odessa, and they were driving to San Antonio one night, same stretch of road, Big Lake to Ozona. The only difference is they were southbound towards Ozona, my guys were northbound towards Big Lake. And he said he couldn't see good at night, so his wife would drive. He would stay up to keep her awake. And they saw something on the side of the road, left side of the road. It was big and black on two feet. And he said, he told his wife, did you see that bear? And his wife said, you know damn well that wasn't a bear. And then she said, did you see what it was holding? And he said, no. And she goes, it was holding a baby one and its hair was a blondish yellowish color. So when he called in was February 2011, my guy's thing happened August of 09, and the caller said their incident happened in 89. He didn't say what month. I don't know, take it for what you will. I'm not saying that what my guy saw was that, but he said what they saw was a Bigfoot. And I know West Texas, there's no trees, there's no water, so take it for what you will. There you go. <laughs> anyway, thank you. Bye. Thanks, Pete. You know, I love this story. Bigfoot in Texas. Involving police officers. 
where can you go wrong? But after listening to this call after such a break, I noticed a detail that I might have let my Bigfoot blinders overlook the last time. The fact that the creature was down on all fours. Now sure, there have been reports of Bigfoot-like creatures on all fours in the past, but that's not typically how they're described. So now I'm here wondering if this was something else altogether. But whatever it was, I certainly dig the story. And I thank you again, Pete, for submitting it. Okay, here we go. Here's another cryptic call that lit up the social medias when it originally aired on Season 14, Episode 1, with Transportation Special. Welcome back to the program, Zach. Hey, Derek. I'm calling in for the Transportation Episode. My name is Zach, and I'm from Minnesota. I've actually got two stories for you today. I apologize for sounds if I'm reading this from a piece of paper because I am. I had to put it all down on paper to organize my thoughts. I drive for public transportation, city bus, all that sort of stuff. And both of these stories are from my time in the bus. Story one is about a phantom passenger I had. So a big part of driving bus is you got to be aware of who gets on and off your bus. Homeless people tend to like to sleep and stay on the bus, and it creates unsafe conditions for other passengers. But one day, I want to say back in 2018 summer, I was doing my route through St. Paul when I had to stop request beep. I didn't think I still had anybody on my bus since I had just done a pretty big drop-off at the St. Thomas College. And when you do the bus routes, you kind of, you get the same people every day. You know, people going to work or school or something like that. So you tend to remember who gets on and off your bus and where. So I was a little confused. The man who exited my bus was dressed like he was straight out of the 1950s suit. He's a young man, too. I would say he couldn't be more than 21 years old. Guy got off my bus like it was nothing. Just perfectly normal. And I should mention that he got off on the sidewalk. It was just typical city sidewalk, open, houses up on the hill there. So it wasn't any weird like he disappeared. He walked off my bus and went on about his day. But it just bugged me through <laughs> the entire time that I had zero memory of him getting on my bus and just how out of place he kind of looked. Story two is one that has kept me up at night. I'm driving early in the morning, and this is up in Maplewood for anybody who knows Minnesota. And anybody who knows just deer in general, know that they're everywhere. It doesn't matter if you're in the suburbs or the rural area or even the city, deer are going to be everywhere. So I'm sitting at a red light and I see a buck up the road where I'll be driving soon. This thing is not walking, right? It's got this weird gait to its step that it's like it has messed up body proportions, like its limb to body proportion isn't right. And that's the best way I can explain it, to be honest. I end up continuing up the road and this thing just beelines my bus. It goes into a full-blown charge antlers forward and everything as if my boss is some sort of threat to it and it you know trigger warning for those listening i hit the crap out of the thing going like 45 miles an hour i stopped the boss to make sure my passenger that was on board is okay and i go to check out the damages to my boss that's when this buck gets back up off the ground but it's 
standing on two legs. It looks me right in the face, and it runs off into this little pocket of woods that was near the road. I ran back into the bus as fast as I could. If you've ever had the feeling, or you could imagine the feeling of your heart stopping, beating as fast as it could possibly could at the same time, that's how I felt. I looked at the man on my bus and I asked him, like, did you just see that? And sure enough, he was wide-eyed and said, yeah, what the hell was that? Once my heartbeat calmed down, <laughs> I called in the base and told them I hit a deer, just standard procedure, and I didn't tell them anything other than that. Our bosses do have cameras, and I asked my manager, I'm like, go back and look at that tape and tell me if I'm seeing what I thought I saw. And I told her the story and she gets back to me and she's like, they won't give us the tape. I would have loved to send that tape into you, but it's in the state's hands and they don't want to give it up. She said she was able to see it. She showed me it on what I saw. And she's like, same thing. What in the world is that? That's my story. Um, thank you for this program, Derek. You have a good day. Thanks, Zach. Now, I think 2022 was the year that introduced most of us to the concept of not deer. Strange deer-like creatures that may or may not be paranormal or supernatural in nature. And I'm not even sure that that describes the entity that Zach saw that evening. But I have no doubt that the phenomena grew in popularity over the previous year. And I also have no doubt that we will likely hear more on this creature down the line. So until then, thanks again, Zach, for sharing the entry. And for those of you interested in the other half of Zach's story, The Disappearing Passenger, Google a man named James Tedford. He disappeared from a bus back in 1949 as it drove through the infamous Bennington Triangle in the state of Vermont. It's good spooky stuff, and I highly recommend a dive. And speaking of good stuff, so is this next call from John in the state of Oklahoma. Hey Derek, this is John. I'm from eastern Oklahoma, and, and I was wanting to tell you about an experience I had when I was really young. My family and I lived just off of a ranch uh, in northeastern Oklahoma. And it was in a really rural area. I had a cousin that would often stay with us, and my grandparents would take care of us. We both slept in my bedroom. We had a bunk bed. I slept on the bottom bunk, and he would tend to sleep on the top bunk. But one particular day, he really wanted to sleep on the bottom bunk, so I let him. We were probably about five years old at this time. Anyway, it comes nighttime, we go to sleep. I'm sleeping on the inside, sort of against the wall. He's sleeping on the outside of the bottom bunk. And I wake up to the bed shaking and this warm, wet feeling, and I realize that he had peed on the bed. I start to get mad at him, and he hushes me. And I ask him what's wrong, and he says, there's a man on the ceiling. And I had no idea what he meant, so I asked again, and he said, there's a man on a ceiling. So I climbed over and peeked out from underneath the top bunk, and I saw what I can only describe as the figure of a man 
that was darker than the darkness around it on the ceiling as if it was on all fours looking down at us. There were no noises. I didn't watch it long enough to see if it had moved, but we spent the rest of that night too terrified to make a sound, too terrified to move. Eventually, light came in through my window. We checked, and nothing was there, and uh, my husband refused to talk about it in the morning, and, and that's it for that part of the story. The reason I thought of it was that until very recently, I had looked back on those experiences in that particular house and thought that it must just be my childhood imagination, but I mentioned it to my grandmother and my grandfather, and they responded by saying, oh yes, that house was very haunted. I was confused, so I started asking them about their experiences, and they reported shadowy figures pacing through the hallways at nighttime, standing in doorways, all sorts of strange sounds, voices, shining eyes in the darkness of the house. So it sort of lent some credit for my memory of the story. I thought, anyway, thank you for listening. Uh, You have a great day. Now that entry is from Season 14, Episode 2. There's a man on the ceiling. That's not something you want to hear while sleeping in your darkened bedroom. But I think that's exactly what you want to hear from a submission on a show like this one. So big thanks, John, for not letting us down. Now then, folks, this is the part of the show where I would typically go beyond where we create bonus content exclusively found on Patreon.com. But tonight, since it's the holiday season and I'm in a giving mood, I'm going to finish this special here on the main show. Now I know that's a bummer to a lot of Patreon supporters, but trust me when I say I'll make it up to you next week with an extended episode. But for now, let's just get back to the action. And we'll start with Trucker Jerry. From Season 14, Episode 2. Hello, Derek. This is Trucker Jerry out here in Wyoming. It is December 15th, 2021. This morning at about 4.30 a.m., I was driving through the Black Hills, and I seen on the shoulder what I thought at first was just an elk, which is pretty common. But as I got closer, I realized it was, like, taller and skinnier than an elk. The coloring wasn't quite right either. The most notable difference was that it, like, I don't know if you're familiar with the way, like, elk's antlers looks, but this didn't have, like, antlers. It had two horns that were kind of curled the way, like, a gazelle's horns are. And when I got close to it, it appeared to stand up on its hind legs and walk across the road in front of me. I I don't know what to make of it. I've never encountered anything quite like that. When it was on the side of the road, I would say the line of its back was about even with the window of the cab of my truck. And when it stood up, its head was probably easily to the top of my windshield. And that's probably 10 feet off the ground something like that so i i don't know this is the first time i've ever experienced 
something of a cryptid type nature. I've it, it's was not. It didn't look right. The more I thought about it, the more I thought about the way it looked, the way its fur was colored. It was like you remember those toys when we were kids that you could kind of stretch out, so they got like skinnier and taller. That's the way it looked on the shoulder, and then when it stood up, it was really, really strange. It was really off. But yeah, that just happened to me this morning, and uh, I figured I'd call and share with you guys. Hope you can use it for the show. Love everything you do. Keep it up. Thanks, Jerry. I noticed he threw a date out there that made the call seem kind of old. The calls were played in 2022. I'm sure a few of these were actually submitted several years ago. And you know, while we're on that subject, I've seen a few rumblings online from people that claim that their calls are not being played. Now I promise I'm getting to each and every one of them. And there are a lot of calls. And also it's sort of like a lottery each week. There's no cue, there's no rhyme or reason, there's no line, there's no list. When you call in, your story gets entered into my little file system, and I pull from that pool each week. So be patient, and I promise I will get to them. There's just a lot of calls in there. And by the way, if you want that toll-free number one more time, it's 1-888-608-NIGHT. Now, as for Trucker Jerry's story... I can't help but make the connection to the series of Goatman reports that originated out of nearby Montana. And I'm pretty sure I spoke of that in the original airing. But you can hear the origins of that Goatman legend over on Season 10's Hometown Legend episode. And you can hear Trucker Jerry's original submission over at Season 14, Episode 2. Thanks again, Jerry, for calling in. And please be careful out there. Now before we dive into these final calls, I have a few more benchmarks from 2022 that we should celebrate. Thanks to you, amazing listeners, Monsters Among Us was in the top 1% of podcasts most shared globally on Spotify, and we landed in the top 1% of most followed on the platform as well. Not to mention, we peaked at number 43 in the Spotify top podcast charts. We peaked at number 51 for Apple Podcast Society and Culture category, and we snagged that number one position on Apple Podcast Places and Travel category. And you know, we're not done. Big things are on the horizon, but we are humbled for now. So a huge thanks to each and every one of you out there supporting the show. Now back to the action and back to the steady stream of monster stories. This one from Ethan in Louisiana, from back on Season 14, Episode 4. Hey, Derek, this is Ethan from South Louisiana. And I'm calling to tell you a story about my girlfriend's uncle, and I, I know you said you hate whenever people uh, tell a secondhand story, but I thought this one was too good to be left unheard. So anyway... He was a hunter, an avid hunter. You know, during hunting season, he was out every weekend doing as much hunting as he could. They weren't very well off, so, you know, the meat mattered. They needed food. Anyway, so he was out in uh, Honey Island, which, I mean, I know a lot of people are probably 
familiar with the Honey Island Swamp Monster anyway. So he was in that area. He said he was out there one day. He was hunting, and uh, he was, you know, just out in the middle of the swamp. It's very desolate. Nothing, absolutely nothing around that area. I believe he had already killed something, but I'm not 100% sure. He was about to wrap it up. It was it was Sunday. He wanted to go home. It was his last evening hunt, and he was out. He said nothing suspicious happened. It was it was a normal hunt, and then he rounded a corner of cypress trees, and uh, he said he thought he saw a bear. It was down on all fours. It was giant. He said it was the biggest bear he had ever seen in his life. We have black bear down here, but uh, he said he he thought it was just a large male black bear. He said he, he whistled at it, and he, he had his gun ready just in case it charged at him. Typically, black bears aren't, you know, aggressive, but he had his weapon ready just in case. Well, after he whistled at it, it, it wasn't facing him. It was turned around. He said that's whenever its arm reached onto the tree that it was sitting next to, and it stood up. And he said it was every bit of seven and a half to eight feet tall. He didn't give a description as to how wide it was, but he said it was massive. And he said as soon as it stood up, it turned around, looked at him, and it just proceeded to walk off like nothing happened. That's the day that he quit hunting. He went home. He was obviously distraught. They asked him what was wrong. He wouldn't tell them. Uh, and then some years later, he just decided to tell one of my girlfriend's brothers, so his nephew, and his nephew told me, and he said he'll never forget it, and it's the reason that he does not hunt anymore. Uh, and it was the scariest thing that ever happened to him. So anyway, just thought I, sh- I should uh, share that. Thanks for what you do. <laughs> well, Ethan, I chose several secondhand stories in my best off list. So I suppose we debunked that myth, that I don't really like them. Now, of course, truth be told, I prefer it straight from the horse's mouth. But my motto has always been, I'd rather hear it secondhand than not at all. Now, the Honey Island Swamp Monster. I always get excited when I stumble upon a story that allows me to bring up some of these historic paranormal stories. In this instance... Ethan allowed me to tell you about Harlan Ford and the monster he supposedly caught on camera. And to hear that coverage, tune in to Season 14, Episode 4. And thank you again, Ethan, for sharing your amazing entry. Now, diverting from the Monster Fest for just a bit, this next one really had me excited when I first found it. Please welcome our anonymous caller, in the state of Utah. Hello, Derek. I'm going to keep my name anonymous. Anyway, this happened yesterday night at about midnight. Me and my brother were just coming home from watching a movie. This happened on the Utah-Wyoming border. We was coming home from the movie. It was about 12 o'clock at night. The sky was clear. It was a full moon. I mean, it was just bright. I mean, it was a beautiful night. Anyway, we were driving down the road. This wasn't the freeway. This was a, a back road to Utah. And in the distance, about two miles, 
in the sky just out of nowhere come flying down this big burning ball it looked like the shape of a like as round as a tennis ball but it was i mean it was 10 times bigger and it was just come hurtling towards the earth and it was on fire was orange and there was some white flames coming around the back out of it and it just flew right to the earth and it hit the ground and so we looked at each other we said did you just see that and he's like yeah i just seen that so we drove up about the next mile and off to the left in the road about 300 yards into a field is a massive ball of burning something i mean it it i don't know what it was it was burning anyway we parked the truck and we finally worked ourselves up to running down there and seeing what it was. So it's still on fire. I mean, it's roaring. And about the time it took us to talk our, both of us into doing it, it kind of died down a little bit, but was still roaring pretty good. And so we walked down to it and we got about 50 feet from it. And then all of a sudden my brother stopped and he could hear whispering like people or something talking and there's nobody. I mean, it's flat. And he yelled, hello, nobody answered. I mean, there's no foot tracks going to it or from it. He said he heard whispering, and I'm like, oh, no, you're just paranoid. Anyway, we walk about 10 more steps, and we're about 40 feet from it. And I swear I could hear somebody talking. And so we both stopped, and he looked at me, and he says, did you just hear that? I was like, yeah, it sounds like somebody's talking. And we immediately just got so scared. So I whipped out my phone, and I videoed like four seconds of it. We didn't want to get any closer to it. And then it was the weirdest thing. We just started hearing dogs barking, and there's nobody that lives out here. And so we just turned off and started running. It was weird how it turned from people whispering to, like, a weird bark. It's hard to explain. I don't know how it matches up, but, I mean, it was so weird. So we turned off. We just started running back to the truck as fast as we could. And the barking happened for, like, two seconds, and then it stopped. And it was completely dead silent. Just the weirdest silence. I mean, it, it was so weird. And so we just ran back. We got in the truck. And I was able to get three or four seconds long video of us just walking up on it. But we have not gone back since. And I'm thinking about going back and just seeing what it was. Because, I mean, we're just so scared. We were so scared. We didn't want to see it look any more than, than we already was. So, yeah, no, uh, I'll send you the video. Let me know. Thanks, Derek. Thanks, caller. Now tell me this one doesn't sound like a UFO crash of some sort. And the voices whispering. Are the gases escaping a burning object? Or proof that whatever it was, it was occupied? Now it's certainly wild stuff. And if you want to hear my additional coverage in comparison to Canada's Roswell, the Falcon Lake incident, check out Season 14, Episode 5. And be sure to thank our caller for taking the time to submit. Well, it feels like hours now that I last mentioned Kip's entry from earlier in the program. I hinted that it wasn't the only story on tonight's list to possibly uncover a murder. Do you remember this unsettling installment sent in anonymously on Season 14, Episode 6? Hi, Derek. So I have an aunt who about six years ago died under mysterious circumstances. It was my senior year of college, and then I graduated, I moved far away, and I got a teaching job. 
And my first year teaching, I had a little boy in my class who had very strong ties to his Native American heritage. And we were all sitting at lunch one day, eating, and he called my name. Well, actually, he called me teacher. That's what he called me. He's like, teacher, your aunt is really funny. I'm related to no one in this town. So I'm thinking he's got me confused with someone else. And I go, my aunt, where did you meet her? And he points at one of the empty spots at the table and goes, well, she's sitting right there. And she's really proud of you. And no one is sitting in this spot. And I ask him if he could describe her to me and my aunt was a very eclectic woman and he perfectly described her hair and told me all about her and it 100% was her and I thought that was super cool that she had come to visit at my work at some point and had you know had this interaction with my student but again I didn't talk to any of my co-workers about this I didn't talk about her and Oh, after that, it would have been three years after that, one of my coworkers invited us all over and she would do kind of spooky themed parties. And that year she had a medium come over. And I assumed no one was going to step forward and talk to me. Like I hadn't lost anybody, like a mom or a child, like some of these other teachers had. And the guy asked whose aunt had passed away. And I was like, well, it might be mine. And he proceeded again to describe her perfectly and talk about how proud she was of me and just kind of show these really cool stuff that you'd want to hear. And then where this gets a little freaky is I had said she had died under mysterious circumstances. And the official ruling on her death was that it was accidental. But I personally have never accepted that, and that's why I'm trying to keep this kind of vague, just on the off chance I have family listening. And I have my own theory about how she died, and in my theory, it was murder, and I'm pretty sure I know who did it. And at the very end of this, after he's describing my aunt to me and talking about how she's proud, he goes, oh, she also says that you're right, but you need to forgive her. And the person I suspect of having killed her is a female um, who's also a family member. So I took that as her confirming to me that I was correct in that she had been um, murdered by this person, but that I needed to let it go and kind of move on with my life because it was like something that was always eating at me inside. So I just thought that was kind of cool that twice my aunt came to visit me and confirmed her death for me. And after that, the lady who had hosted the party came to me and was like, what was that about? And I opened up to her because we were really good friends. So now pretty much everyone knows at my school that my aunt confirmed her murder. But just thought I'd share that. Haven't uh, had any visits from her since. But maybe I did what she needed me to do and I stopped being so obsessed and angry about it. And, you know... What goes around comes around because that relative is currently doing jail time for quite a long time for a totally different crime. So she still got what was coming to her in the end, I guess. Okay, thank you. Love the show. Bye. Another amazing entry. Thanks again, caller. Now, folks, we only have one entry left, so I better squeeze this information in. Yes, you heard correctly. Monsters Among Us is hiring for a part-time catch-all position. 
And yes, we received at least a hundred resumes. Thank you all, by the way. And yes, Sarah and I are going through each and every one of them. It's a tedious process, but we want to make sure that we take the time to give each candidate serious consideration. And you know, that just takes a lot of time. Frankly, something we're already short on, which is why we decided to hire. So, long story short, we're still working on it. And I hope to have some candidates narrowed down very soon. So if you reached out, we'll be in touch. And I suppose there's a few more days to submit if you're just now learning about it. Visit our website at monstersamonguspodcast.com and click the Jobs tab at the top for a full job description and application instructions. Best of luck. We can't wait to hear from you. Now, best of luck getting this next story out of your head. I'm still thinking about it from all the way back in Season 14, Episode 7. Matt from Massachusetts. Go ahead and tell it again. Hey, how's it going? This is uh, Matt from Plymouth, Massachusetts. And my whole life I've kind of always been intrigued in the fact that there could be things among us that we just don't really know. But um, this happened when I was about nine years old. It was Halloween night, which is adds on to the comedic effect in my opinion but you know how kids get on Halloween night when they're when they're younger you know they're scared they're scared they're scared you know the ghouls the goblins they're out they're thriving but I'm laying in bed and the wind is whipping like I got an older house built in 1970 so you know that was creaking a little I was real scared and uh, I'm just staring out my window the blinds are open and my eyes are obviously adjusted to the dark at this point it was like way later in the night I'm just staring out the window at the tree line and I'm just staring and staring and staring and then all of a sudden, like, I see the most bizarre and funny thing ever. I see what looks to be a massive ape jump from the top of one of the trees into the air and almost kind of, like, hit the typical, like, gorilla fists in the air after they pounded their chest pose, then immediately dove back down into the trees. And I was absolutely shaking for a good 30 minutes insisting I saw a ape man swing from the top of my trees in my backyard and I live in Plymouth Massachusetts which is turning into more of a urban area and just very populated so I don't know what a uh, ape man would be doing down in uh, the beaches of city town Plymouth Mass but hey I saw it thanks Matt Now, you know I don't remember if I'd mentioned this when Matt's story originally played. Frankly, it's hard to recall a previous show once a new one has begun. But now I can't help but wonder if there was some missing ape reports in that area of Massachusetts at the time. Perhaps one escaped from a lab or a zoo or a private collection. That's certainly more believable than a Bigfoot bumbling from branch to branch. But of course... As we've mentioned on several previous episodes now, Massachusetts has its fair share of Sasquatch reports. So take from it what you will. And thank you again, Matt, for sharing the entry. And a huge thanks to you as well, listener. Without your support, we wouldn't be here to share these terrifying tales. But thanks to you, we are. So thank you for yet another amazing year. 
and we can't wait to get the next one started. And on that note, it's time for another eggnog. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Addie Lloyd. All media used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. Please take the time to follow us on social media and YouTube. And while you're at it, a five-star rating and a nice little review goes a long way to help the show grow. And finally, music from tonight's episode was provided by Iron Cthulhu Apocalypse, co.ag music, and Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. Thank you so much for tuning in. Keep it spooky. Happy New Year. And have a good night. Of course, I'm going to do a bonus story on this episode. And when this one played originally, it had the Monster Squad abuzz with theories. So Dustin from Indiana, welcome back to the program. Hi, this is Dustin from Indiana. I called previously about the Black Cats in Maine when I grew up there. And I just had a weird sighting of, and you're going to think I'm crazy, a fairy. I was driving back from the gym January 5th, 2022, at 4.45 a.m. And the wind is about 45 mile an hour wind gusts, and it's pretty clear. As I'm driving up the side road in Cicero, Indiana, you could see plain as day over the hood of my truck and about eight inches in front of the windshield this beautiful about six to seven inch tall yellow thing which was fluttering like a hummingbird now like i said the wind is 45 miles an hour gust and it's cold there's no hummingbirds right now and you can see the leaves blowing in the road but this thing fluttered up in front of me on my driver's side with a consciousness of like looking at me and then it moved in the circular motion and then up and then off to the passenger side of the truck. It was obviously not being manipulated by the wind, and the way it was glowing looked like um, I was in the service. One of those glow sticks that you break and shake at night so you can see things. That's how bright it was glowing. And it was, it fluttered there for a split second. You could see the form and the outline, and like I said, it just took right off. It kind of shook me up a little bit, because like, what was that? And the only thing I can think of that had to be a fairy. Uh, my friend who's a monster hunter literally asked me some questions trying to debunk everything and it just wasn't happening. She sent me a picture of like some bug and it wasn't that. I know for a fact because when this thing flew in front of me, 
it was like uh, like I said, a chem light attached to a Barbie doll. It was emitting its own light source. There was nothing coming out of my windshield as dark as it was, and it was over the hood and in front of the windshield, so the headlights couldn't hit it. There was no light source. There was no cars coming towards me. It was another question she asked. There was no other lights that could have emitted this light source. And then when she sent me pictures of bugs, that wasn't it either because it didn't have antenna. When I was thinking about it, it didn't have any antenna whatsoever. Also, the whole thing was glowing except for the white spots where there was eyes. And when it fluttered there and looked in my windshield as it was going with the truck, I made eye contact with it. It was kind of like making eye contact with like a, a dog or something where you know there's intelligence and you know there's an understanding there and curiosity, if you will. So I just wanted to add that because I'm, I've been getting hammered with debunkings from her all day to the point it's actually kind of insulting. And I was like, this is not what you think. It was unlike anything I've ever seen. And, and I even had to drop the, I'm a trained forward observer. Observing is what I did. And I know to think clearly and not to panic and not to rush to conclusions. And I'm telling you what I saw it was literally like a Barbie doll with wings fluttering like a hummingbird in front of me, emitting its own light source and making eye contact with me for a brief second before it went back into this hard wind and back around like Tinkerbell, for lack of better terms, the Disney shows and just away it went. Again, it was today, which is January 5th, uh, 2022 at 4.45 a.m. with 45 mile an hour wind gusts and 32 degrees outside. Not a hummingbird, no reflections, no nothing. I know what I saw and it had to have been something I don't even believe in. I don't even believe in fairies. Fairies I put in like the group of unicorns and leprechauns and stuff that don't exist. And I'm telling you that it had to have been what it was because there's no other explanation. And that's it. And uh, thanks for your time. Thank you, Dustin. Now that story was quite popular when it dropped on Season 14, Episode 10, just a few short weeks ago. And we do get fairy encounter stories from time to time. But I'm quick to admit that this one was next level. And having a month or so to think it over, I did come up with another logical theory to explain what Dustin might have saw. And hopefully me suggesting it isn't insulting to Dustin. But if he had his cell phone on his dash or even the center console of the vehicle, it's possible that the reflection of the screen could have been seen seemingly through the windshield. Almost the way those heads-up displays work on cars where they reflect the instrument panel onto the inside of the windshield, right in the driver's line of sight. Now, in theory, this could easily explain what he saw, but a few things need to go right. First, the angle of the phone needs to be just right to catch the reflection. It needs to be fairly dark enough outside the window to allow the reflection to be seen. The phone needs to be bright enough to reflect the light. And probably most importantly, the phone would have to be displaying some sort of fairy image for Dustin to have even seen it. Now I'm also quick to admit that this is all a stretch. But so is a fairy flying down the freeway. But you know, I'm not counting that out either. We love the story, Dustin, so thank you again for taking the time to share your experience. 
and thank you all for an amazing 2022. I will catch you all back here next week. So until then, do your best to stay warm. Here's to a spooky 2023. Happy New Year. And good night. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.